0: I don't think we can ever really get over the reality, at least I can't, that the Son of God would die for us. I I think that is um, a reality that really is not, we're not able to comprehend, um, certainly not in its fullest measure. We stand amazed at that reality. That he would do that for sinners like us. And for that we give him glory and praise. Matthew chapter 8 is the place where we pick up this morning. The 18th verse in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. You knew I was going to be there this morning, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Bear, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. The Cost of Discipleship is the title for these words I just read in your hearing. Up to this point in Matthew's gospel we've seen episodes that demonstrated Jesus' authority and power over sickness and demons. And following the passage which I just read in your hearing we will see his authority and power over nature. Between these two accounts are stories about discipleship. It seems out of place. It seems like what Matthew has been doing is demonstrating God's power, Christ's power over these things. And then he changes and inserts this passage that I just read about the cost of discipleship. We may wonder why with the author Matthew do this? James Montgomery Boyce provides an answer for us. Quote, Matthew wants to show that the same Jesus who has authority over sickness, nature, and demons, also has authority over the lives of his disciples. End of quote. Following Jesus must be on his terms, not those of the prospective disciple. We might say, it is not a person accepting Jesus, but Jesus accepting the person. You need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't trying to accumulate to him a group of people who were mere superficial disciples. People who would follow or or would follow him when it was convenient for them. When things were going their way, when it worked out favorably enough, okay, Jesus, I can do this now for you. Jesus wasn't seeking to Acquire followers like that. And Jesus knew the depth or the lack of it in people's commitment to him. There were, for instance, some people who believed on his name, writes John in John chapter 2, verse 23. They believed because they observed his signs or miracles, which he was doing. They said, wow, look at that. I I believe in him. But Jesus was not believing in them. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible tells me so. (laughs) Amen. See, that's the authority for any pronouncements we ought to make about Jesus Christ or God or whomever in the Bible is what does the Bible say? John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 say this, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men, for he himself knew what was in man. End of the scriptural quotation. Jesus knew, and Jesus knows, the true state of every man's heart, He knew genuine saving faith from the mere superficial attraction to him because of the miracles. Jesus knows when people really want to follow him because they've been transformed on the inside by the grace of Christ. And those who want Jesus because of the benefits that he can dispense. He knows those who have really been converted to him, drawn out of darkness into light, those who have been born again over against those who say, "Ah, you know, Jesus can provide me some stuff I want, so I think I'm going to sign up. Jesus demands, Need to get this, Jesus demands a wholehearted commitment of life to him as Lord of one's life. This reality about what Jesus demands is surfaced in our lord's encounter with the two would-be disciples two would-be disciples pay attention to what transpires here our first heading is the cost of personal discomfort the cost of personal discomfort we see in in verse 18 the crowds were massive the crowds were following Jesus everywhere he went because he was healing people right and left. No one was left unhealed. Jesus exhausted himself in delivering people from diseases and sicknesses and deformities and from demons. With Jesus' powerful, miraculous works. People naturally were following him in huge crowds. It was relentless. Relentless to such a degree that Jesus couldn't really get any time to rest. None whatsoever. That's why it says in verse 18, when he saw the crowd, he gave orders and it is to his disciples to depart to the other side of the sea. Why would Jesus do that? I just laid it out. You need to understand something about our Lord here. We get a glimpse here. First of all, he is the God-man, right? As God, he never grows weary nor tired. He doesn't faint as God. He is inexhaustible in his strength and omnipotence he never runs out of power and energy none of that he is not like us in that regard he is infinite in his being but I told you Jesus is the God man but as man he did grow weary as man he did experience fatigue fatigue just like you do just like I do you say well how do you know that because the Bible tells me so Y'all going to quit asking that question. He wanted to go to the other side. Jesus needed some time to rest. You say, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 24, the bottom of the verse of Matthew chapter 8. You notice there in the boat a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with waves. But notice the text it says, but Jesus himself was He's asleep. This is the Lord of glory. This is the creator of the ends of the earth. He is asleep in a boat, and there's a great storm. That's his humanity on display. He's sleeping there. We're not going to preach that text this morning. We're in this one. And the Lord was weary. But as he gave the order, go to the other side. Verse 19 scribe, approached him. This is a candidate for discipleship. Scribes, you need to understand who these people were. They were highly esteemed among the Jews. They were experts in the law of Moses. The law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah. They were experts in it. They're also experts in rabbinic law, the commentary on the the law. So these men, what they did, they spent their life interpreting the law of Moses and the rabbinic law to the common people, rank and file Jews. That's what they did. So they're highly esteemed. But not only that, these scribes, and you'll notice as you read through the New Testament, the scribes were a group of people who were hostile to Jesus throughout his ministry. Hostile to him. Along with the scribes, the scribes and Pharisees, you always see them paired most of the time in the New Testament. You see Pharisees and scribes, scribes and Pharisees. These people were in opposition to Jesus. These religious leaders, and the scribe was among that sect of religious people, who were in hostility. But this scribe came to Jesus. He was the exception. He wanted to follow him. He even called him teacher. He didn't say, Lord, he just said, teacher. You need to understand something. I believe the reason he said, teacher, is this. He was intrigued and deeply impressed with the Lord's teaching. For Jesus taught, as one we've learned earlier, as having authority. For Jesus, unlike the rabbis, didn't cite earthly rabbis, teachers, He didn't look to them for their authority, his authority, for his teaching. In fact, he was the authority. And this, no doubt, the scribe recognized that. He said, Teacher, he wanted to be a learner, he wanted to be his pupil. But he said, More, I will follow you wherever you go. He's just planting his flag down saying, Listen, I'm with you. Wherever you go, I'm with you. Literally the text reads this way Whenever you wherever you may be departing. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm on board. Let me get in the boat with you. I'll cross the sea with you. Jesus was part departing to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, of course, for the rest of it we just talked about. But this scribe did not have a real commitment to Jesus. Uh, The kind that Jesus requires. There's a commentator. Named uh, R.T. France. He labels this scribe. This disciple wannabe. This quote. An academic dilettante disciple. Okay I need to explain dilettante. A dilettante is a person who. uh, Cultivates an interest in a subject without any real knowledge, and get this phrase, and commitment. Commitment, that's what a dilettante is. You heard like a dilettante in the arts world. They they have a little interest, but they don't really know anything about art, but uh, they're just dilettante. They have a little interest, but they know nothing about it. They have no real commitment to the arts. That's what this guy was, a dilettante, a dilettante. Now, we know this after the fact. We know this from the text. But Jesus knew this beforehand. Remember we discussed earlier that Jesus knew what was in man. He knows the true state of every single human being. You cannot fool him. Affirmations are one thing. Declarations are one thing. But the reality of a commitment of life is entirely a different thing. Jesus pinpoints the man's superficial commitment by his response. That's why he says what he says. To the man, you notice, he says, verse twenty: the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air, uh, the air, have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And you just pull that text out or read it. You wonder what on earth does that have to do with being a disciple? Well, the creatures of, nat- of nature have habitations. A fox has a hole that he can call his own. The birds are there, they can return home at night or anytime they want to their nest. But Jesus says, I do not have a home of my own. In his humiliation in the incarnation, Jesus didn't own a home, he had friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They lived in Bethany, you remember. And he could spend time there with them. Of course, there was Peter in Capernaum where he was. And he could spend the night with Peter and his family and Peter's mother-in-law and other folk there. But Jesus, nowhere in the New Testament do you read that he went to his own house and spent the night. You know why? He didn't have one. You will read in the New Testament that Jesus spent the night on the Mount of Olives by himself, communing with God the Father all night. He had no home of his own. Jesus told this scribe about his own homelessness. That's, um, that's a discomfort. You imagine you don't have a home, and you, you're ministering to people all day long. You're expending energy, human strength all day long. You're meeting everybody's needs all day long. But you don't have a home to go to on your own. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, why would Jesus tell this man this? Because I told you Jesus knows what's in man. He knew this man's heart. He knew this man really didn't have the commitment to follow him. He would profess to go wherever you go, Jesus. He said, not so fast. Let me tell you what you need to take stock of. You need to understand something. So Jesus gives him the truth about his own homelessness. He wanted this man to take stock of his lack of genuine commitment that Jesus requires of his disciples. He needed to count the cost of being a follower of Christ. This man's professed allegiance was shallow and superficial. Words of commitment are meaningless. They're not the same as deeds of commitment. Talk about being committed to Jesus all day long. It's another thing to demonstrate in your life. Your people like that. They just want to go to heaven, but they don't want to follow Jesus on earth. She said, "No, no, 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 no. They they like cheap grace," as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Cheap grace. They, they want Christ, but they don't have to repent. They don't want to be. They want to be baptized, but they, they don't want to have to experience church discipline. Somebody tells, "Hey, you're you're sinning. That you can't live like that, brother or sister." It's cheap grace. They, they just, like the easy believism, everything is okay, I'm, I'm with you, Lord, but now, now, when it gets a little tough like that, no, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's too inconvenient. Jesus was, think about this, he was quite candid with people. He didn't sugarcoat the gospel. He, he never said, come and follow me, and I'm going to fix all your problems. Come and follow me, everything's going to be all right in your life. No. Remember, Jesus often said, it's recorded in the scripture if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus was not accepting half hearted disciples, he wanted whole hearted disciples. The people who want to accept the Lord for a little while until the going gets rough, then they get going. Matthew chapter 13. You remember uh, the the parable? Matthew chapter 13. Jesus, he uh, outlines people like this who believe for a little while because uh, they only have a superficial faith. They don't have s- saving faith. And in this parable of the sword, Jesus lays it out. Matthew chapter 13. He, he gives the, the parable in its parabolic form. Only then he interprets what he means by the figures he uses later in the passage. Let me just... Pull both those out and you can lay them side by side there along with me as you look at your copy of the word of God. He's given this parable in verse 5 of Matthew 13, verse 5. It says, others, the seed fell, that's what he's talking about, on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no, here here are the words, depth of soil. Verse 6, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Somebody said, okay, what does that mean? I'm not a farmer, never been a farmer, don't want to be a farmer. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I go to the grocery store. Verse 20. Jesus explains it. The one on whom, notice whom. Seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word uh, word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet it has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. He's done. Had no depth of root. There's no saving faith. There is no production of fruit, spiritual fruit in his life. He believed on Jesus for a while and he's pretty happy about it. He's telling people about it, how he's found the Lord. But then when the difficulties come into his life, he says, wait a minute, let me pump the brakes on this. And then he just walks away. It's a temporary believer, which is no real believer at all. Because true believers are Not temporary, they are permanent. True believers, well, difficulty is going to come, persecutions may come, in association with the Word of God, all that may happen, but you're going to know what when the dust settles and clears. Guess what? They're still following Jesus. I've told a story here before, I'll tell it again. It came to mind just now. A man and I who's now with the Lord, he's uh, we were friends, we were at church and we we're out evangelizing. We went and knocked on the doors. And these two young women let us in. We walked in and shared the gospel with them. You know, man, they were excited. This is great news. We go back to follow up, and we couldn't find those girls. You know what I think happened? Sounded good. They didn't last long at all because it wasn't real. It happens to people. And notice something here, our Lord. Uh, that's the kind of the person this man was. Jesus said, But the Son of Man, back in our text, has nowhere to lay his head. Think about this. The Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite self designation, it's a messianic title. In Daniel chapter 7, you might make a note here and look at it later. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It shows there in that vision that Daniel has one who looks like a son of man, talking about none other than Messiah, his preexistence. That's who Jesus is talking about. It's me, Jesus is saying. I am that person in that passage in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 shows him in verse 40 he comes to the ancient of days talking about God the Father who is the ancient of days eternality and he receives a kingdom that is a permanent all people are going to be under his authority you can check it out read it and you see that's who it's talking about future kingdom and in Matthew Jesus uses this to affirm his deity this phrase son of man he uses it to affirm his deity and I, I want you to see this because I think it's important we, we grasp this uh, because it helps us understand who's given the orders here. Who has the authority here? Matthew chapter 16. And you can see the association that Jesus makes and the Father affirms. Matthew 16. The in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asks his disciples, remember in verse 13, and he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man. Again, he calls himself the Son of Man, hearkening back to Daniel 7. And then they give a list, his disciples do, who people say, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. And interestingly, they don't know who he is because it had not been revealed to them. So he pull out all these Old Testament worthies and say, oh, "That's who he must be." In verse fifteen, Jesus says, "But who do you say that I am?" And Peter was available, <laughs> spokesman. He's ready to let God use his mouth. You are the Christ, our Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Son of the living God. The son of the living God. Son of. Son has the same essence or nature as the father. And what Peter said here in his declaration. You are deity. You are deity. You have the same essence as the father. You the son of the living God. Jesus didn't say, whoa, you've gone too far, Peter. (laughs) Now, you got to remember, I didn't, no, 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 he didn't say that. Verse 17, Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God the Father gave him that revelation as to who Jesus Christ is. It's deity. Now, what does that mean? That's why he has authority over human lives. He's God. He can tell you you do this. You want to follow me? Or if you don't, sorry. And who's doing the talking? The son of the living God. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is the one who exercises authority over those who want to be his disciples. He's in charge of men. And he says, that man, you need to know who I am. And we need to know who he is. He has authority over us. The cost of personal discomfort is the first thing we see here. And we see that in the first of the would-be disciples. Second is, back in our text, the cost of personal riches. The cost of personal riches. It says in verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me to go, permit me first to go and bury my father. disciple, that word, renders the Greek term mathetes. Mathetes means a pupil, learner, follower. It has no spiritual connotation. In fact, the term is used broadly in Scripture in reference to those who are called Jesus' disciples. a broad term. Jesus had a lot of people following him. But because they were in the crowd, they could be called disciples because they were learning from him. Uh, they were students of what he was saying, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were born again. It's important to understand that distinction. And we know that's the truth. You say, well, how do you know that? Because. <laughs> that's how we know. And I want you to see what the Bible says about it. John chapter six. John chapter six. And here's a passage. You know, we see this term "disciple." It's the plural here, disciples. Verse sixty, John six sixty. We're going to be here for a brief moment, so hang with us, okay? Jesus teaching in Capernaum. Things previously stated in John's uh, record. In verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, what our Lord is just saying about he being the bread of life and all that means. This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? These are disciples, remember? That's what it says. Jesus goes on to explain. We're not going to take time to exposit all of this. Verse 64 says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were. This is verse 64. Who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. He knew in the crowd those who didn't believe him. And he knew all about Judas. These people, the reason they said, who can listen to this? Jesus all along knew they didn't believe in him. They had the title disciples, but they were not born again. In verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They said, we're done. (laughs) They had no spiritual relationship with him. They had not been brought into the kingdom And so they left him. Jesus said to the twelve. You do not want to go away also do you? Simon Peter here he is again. (laughs) Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter is a true believer. In verse 69. We have believed and have come to know. That you are the holy one of God. So why Peter And the twelve, with the exception of Judas, of course, didn't walk away. True disciples, Jesus lays it out for us in John chapter 8, verse 31. True disciples, he, he lays it out. It's clear. Here are some people who were believing. See, they had a superficial belief. So Jesus was saying to them, John eight thirty one, to those Jews who had believed him. Here's the litmus test. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The implication is obviously that if they didn't continue in his word, following him and obeying him, they're not his disciples. Jesus said, It's clear, right? Amen. It's clear. how do we know how we know now in verse 21 here we have this would be disciple he requests a delay in following Jesus that's why he wants to go bury his father (laughs) and you say wow what is that well let me let you know it's a figure of speech actually The man's dad was not dead. What he was saying to Jesus, I need to go back home and fulfill my responsibility as a son to my father because I need to hang around there and do those things because when he dies, I want to be sure I get my share of the inheritance. (laughs) And once he dies, which who knows when that'll be, depending on the man's age, it could be 10 years, 20 years. He said, I'll follow you, but... Let me get my cash first. Get my, my part of the family wealth. And as soon as I get that done, Jesus, I'll be down there and I'll follow you. Hmm. See, he was afraid that if he didn't do that, if he'd taken up and follow Jesus right then, he could lose his inheritance or have it greatly reduced. He said, can't take a chance on that. I got to fulfill my responsibility to my family. So the phrase, bury my father, was tantamount to saying, I want to stay home until my daddy dies (laughs) and receive my share of the inheritance. That's what he's talking about. So I I just got to put it off until I get what I, I want. Jesus had warned earlier, you recall. It's quite explicit. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. You've got to make a decision. You're going to follow Jesus or are you going to follow the world and its wealth? That's the reality. Some people make a profession of faith in Christ and say that they believe the gospel, but their faith is not genuine because they are not spiritually. Productive. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. And that's critical. Critical understand that. It's not enough to have a verbal profession. There needs to be fruit from the life. And if there's fruit from the life, that means there is a spiritual life. Again, Jesus lays it out for us. This is inescapable. In Matthew chapter 13 again in that parable I read in part earlier and you saw with me but we'll look at it again and we'll see it another emphasis here um, that Jesus makes and one and the one on whom seed the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitful of wealth choke out the word and it becomes what all wrapped up in money he's heard the gospel he's heard the words been in church he goes out and he he gets worried about the world and money and uh, notice the deceitfulness of wealth like wealth is going to solve all your problems it's the thing to have and all of that and there's no fruit because he's not interested in the kingdom following Christ and all of that he's interested in his money he's unsaved That's the reality. And Jesus knew that. Now, notice, back in our text, we need to see what he says. How would Jesus say, would would he be sympathetic? Say, you know what, I get that. Some of us say, yeah, I understand. I mean, man, you you don't want to blow that because you're, you know, you got to get that family inheritance. So you just come on and, uh, come on, brother, it's going to be all right. And Jesus said, no. Verse 22. Follow me. He didn't say, no, go ahead and go back home and wait till your father dies and you get your inheritance. After all, you can bring it to church and we'll have some extra money to do God's work with. No, Jesus didn't say that. He said, follow me. That word follow is a command. In fact, that verb is in the present tense and it means a lifelong commitment. That's what he says, do now. With all of our life, for all of our life, we are to follow Christ. From the moment we're born again until the moment we're taken into his presence, we're to follow him, we're to obey him. He is the commander, we're the obedient slaves. Jesus said, after he tells him, you follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. I know it sounds ridiculous. What kind of saying? How how can dead people bury dead people? Jesus is not saying a Christian shouldn't attend um, a loved one's funeral. He's not precluding that obligation whatsoever. Rather, our Lord is saying that spiritual things are to be prioritized over the spiritual matters. That's what he's saying. The spiritually dead are are not alive to spiritual realities. Let them therefore deal with worldly things. That's what he's saying. This this man should have recognized, listen, that's temporal, that's worldly. Let me follow Christ now. And it needs to be now. Emphasis on now. Don't put it off. Jesus is not looking for any procrastinating disciples you need to put off procrastination Luke 9 parallel account (coughs) this same thing verse 60 Luke adds but as for you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God that's what you're to do that's what he told the man to do. Don't go away till your father dies. You go now and proclaim the gospel. The urgency of it. The importance of it. That's the mission. Let me uh, add something here. Sometimes people think that being a, a disciple is an upgrade to being a Christian. There are Christians, people who have accepted Jesus, but they haven't gotten to the Lord thing yet. Uh, they haven't taken that next step to be a disciple. You know what? Yeah, that, that, that's, that has been percolating around in American evangelicalism for a number of years. I don't find that in Jesus' statements. In fact, when I first heard about this dichotomization, uh, you can be a Christian and then later on you can be a disciple. Or you can come to him as Savior. And later on, you can make him Lord. When I first, I said, "What?" <laughs> My understanding was, if you came to Jesus, you're committed to him. This kind of distinction didn't exist. You know why? It's not in the Word of God. Not properly interpreted. I believe when Jesus says uh, you take up your cross a man wants to come after me you deny yourself take up your cross and follow me he's saying come to me for salvation. You say how do you know that? Well because I said thank you. Matthew chapter 19. A couple of places we're going to look. You can underline them. See the context. Remember this rich young ruler? Verse 16 of Matthew 19, and we're going to see the progression. We're going to pull out a few things. It's a long passage. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach verse by verse on this one. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? So he wants eternal life, and Jesus says some things to him, demonstrates, man, you you can't do that. In verse 21, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Jesus put his finger on the man's problem. He loved his money. He wanted eternal life, but he wanted all his wealth. Right? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You got to follow me and your wealth is going to keep you from that. So what you need to do is go sell it. If you don't sell it, you can't be my disciple. That's why the young man, he heard that, he went away grieved because the text says he has much property. I can't depart from my, with my stuff. His <laughs> disciple said in verse 23, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He illustrates going through the, I have a camel through a needle, a literal camel going through a sewing needle. Yes, it's impossible disciples heard this now get this bottom verse verse 25 then who can be what saved <laughs> saved you know they made the connection they didn't say who can then who then can have the upgrade in the, no 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 who then can be saved and Jesus said of course God with man this is impossible with God all things are possible we can see the reality of this God can do it, notice Jesus said kingdom of God, enter the kingdom of God verse 24, bottom of the verse kingdom of God, eternal life who can be saved same thing Jesus said in Matthew 28 go and make what yeah, he say, go make some Christians and later on try to get them up to being disciples no Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And I'm afraid, this is why I'm going through this, I want to be sure. I'm afraid there's some people who think us, because somebody told them, oh, you're a Christian now. You, they profess Jesus as Savior. And they, they believe verbal, made a verbal profession, believe in their head. And they go on and live the kind of life they want to live. But they, people say, oh, but you're a Christian You're going to make it into heaven this war? Did you not believe in Jesus back uh, in 2017 or 2010 or 1999? Did you not believe? Yes. Well, you're okay, but they've been living like a devil's child ever since. You know why? Because they're still the devil's child. Hmm. People need to know the truth here. Jesus, eight chapter of Mark. Eight, Mark 8, verse 34. And he summoned the crowd to, with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Who is it that wishes to save his life? The person who says no to the gospel. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel gospels will save it. Clear, right he's not talking about physical life he's talking about eternal life for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul that's what Jesus is talking about there is no more serious matter in this life than following Jesus Christ or not No more serious matter. I want to tell some of you who are kind of doing your thing and you say, I I believe in Jesus, but you don't seem to be too concerned about his work and will. You need to check yourself. You say, I've gotten comfortable. You need to check yourself. Better understand something. Jesus is not playing. You gotta deny yourself. Deny your sinful self. Renounce your sinful self. I'm done with that. And take up your cross, that's commitment. And follow his leadership, which he expresses through his word. Are you obedient to him? Do understand anybody can make a verbal profession that won't matter when you stand before him if you really did not follow him you better check yourself make sure you truly belong to him I'm going to tell you there are going to be a lot of people based on the word of God who are going to wonder how did I get here I thought I belonged to him and Jesus is going to say I never knew you Better check yourself. Let us bow together in prayer. The cost of discipleship. Salvation is free. You don't have to pay for it. But it will cost you. In following Christ. Cost you comfort. Cost you many things. Whatever he calls you to do. He may not call you to sell your house. You can keep your house because some Christians did. He doesn't tell you to uh, get rid of all your stuff and get to the poor. He may not do that for you or he may, but you just need to be willing. If he says you must do that to follow me, then you need to do it. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the word of God. His clarifying truths speak to the hearts of those who have heard it where there is conviction, may that continue until there is repentance. For those who think they are Christians and aren't, bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. True Christians, put off the old man and put on the new, as Ephesians says. Change people. Deny themselves and follow Christ. May this fellowship be populated by people like that who will love you, serve you, follow you, regardless. Because you've changed them. And their chief delight is in doing your will. Submitting to your lordship. Because you've given them a new heart. New attitude. New spirit.